0: counseling, just four weeks. It's a nice short class, but it's been fun so far, and Mike's been doing a good job because it's on the tail end of our discipleship class, and I've been realizing just like how great that was of God to have that put there, because it really comes off the tail end of it. So, Uh,
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, thank you, Henry. (laughs) Up here being a false prophet. (laughs) It starts with what we learn in our epistles of John class. It starts with error, and then it becomes lies. Sorry. So this is week three. Uh, We started with last week with the opportunity, how biblical counseling is this opportunity to speak God's wisdom to others. It's discipleship, it's relational, it's scriptural, it's confessional, it's change oriented, it's holistic, and it's practical. So, week one was kind of speaking God's wisdom to others. Here we have a Bible. (laughs) It's like an ankle dropping. A Bible. That is an anvil dropping on this person. <laughs> oh, man. So, in biblical counseling, I can just, I like thinking really, really basically in my head. When I'm counseling, it's not so much like, how in the world am I going to help this person with this unknown gap of all the problems? I mean, that's definitely there and you get to know them, but ultimately it's asking on God. To them, and then week two, we looked at how in biblical counseling, it is something that's inside that's the main target. Does anybody remember, or was anyone here? Because we have a, a revolving door of <laughs> students here. Were you there, Chuck? Maybe week two. The target oh, so, last week. So yeah. The heart, right? So, we can pass on the wisdom from God, and then when we are considering this person that we're counseling, the target is right there. It's their heart. It's uh, everything deep down, Their um, what they value most, their deepest desires, their deepest influences, inspirations, Everything within that is the inner disposition that God has perfectly made for man to use and for God to sanctify. Um, to come from inside out and be a light and salt and Christ-like to the world. So that's, the, that's where we're going for. And obviously the mind is connected to it. It's part of it. So week one, how biblical counseling we can pass on the wisdom of God. And in that way... Although we are not maybe professional clinical counselors, although some of us have a lot of experience with helping people, we are all qualified to counsel each other with the word of God because of the Holy Spirit. And then at the same time, we know exactly what it is that we're aiming for, which is what is within. So the main target is the heart and it's understanding the brother or sister in which we're counseling. So today, we're going to talk about something more explicit in this whole system of biblical counseling. And that just is... Ugh. I'm going to put this guy in right here. It's like, okay, but what even is that? What even is that guy? <laughs> like, what's the point? I don't really get it and what so what we're looking at then is christian identity answering the question for each of us which i'm sure i don't know maybe some of the older people here are like i don't ask that question anymore (laughs) i'm good but no we probably all do um but asking the question of who am i and we want to look at a few things considering answering that question how we, ourselves, define our identity, because that's very important, how the Bible defines our identity, which is eternally more important, how to think biblically and theologically about our identity, and what that means for us with helping others. So, there is a battle for our identity. If you guys wanna turn to Philippians 3, This is a really, really great picture of both of these things, or these two sides of this battle. Philippians 3, verses 3 through 11. 3 through 11, Philippians 3. I'll read, uh, I'll read three and, or through three, three through seven, and then if somebody wants to take the rest. All right. So this is Paul, and he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh
1: What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead.
0: Thank you. Such a interesting passage, such a powerful passage that really kind of, uh, whatever inclination we have of asking or motives we have of asking the question, who am I? Uh, This passage really sets things straight. Um, In verses four through six, uh, Paul shows what it would be like if he put his confidence in the flesh. Uh, Just in reading this and reflecting, in what ways do you guys think we could be tempted to find our confidence in the flesh as Christians at Center Baptist?
1: Well, I go to a certain church.
0: Oh, okay. You no, know, that would be sure, so <clears> letting I, your I church. Letting your church. made. Okay. I've
1: been baptized. I got made.
0: So certain things that you've done that are attributed, like, to you, like... I got baptized. I go to Center Baptist. Okay. Yeah. What are some other ones?
2: Are education. Sort of like he's saying, or,
0: or job. <laughs> education and our job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a lot of people that think, I've been baptized, therefore I'm going to heaven. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trusting their baptism versus trusting Jesus and what he did. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of these things that, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but if things don't go well here in America, (laughs) I think that's going to be where a lot of these things maybe come out more or they're more tempting, but that doesn't disregard that they're tempting now, but it's to see the seeds now (laughs) and to push them down now and to be like, God, take these seeds now. Like, money doesn't seem to matter very much here, but if put in a certain situation, maybe it will. And it'll be like, well, I know that person says a lot about the Bible, but there's there's a reason they're broke. Or, you know, like, whatever it may be, you know. Um, there's all kinds of temptations. And... Uh, just have to have a separation in your mind of the temporary things that are given to you and the eternal things that have been given to you. <laughs> None of it it's all been given to you. Uh, except for your, your lovely uh, creative abilities at sinning against yourself and others of God. So.
1: Well, a lot of the things are, in other words, good in themselves.
0: But, some of them are. Uh,
1: putting your trust in them is another thing.
0: Yeah. And that's the nature of uh, that's the nature of sin, right? And that's what the devil promotes. He doesn't create anything new. He takes what God has made and distorts it and makes it gross and uses it for selfish gain. Um, although I think sometimes in our minds we think we're thinking of something new, but we're not. Uh, so this confidence in the flesh—it's been done to death, and it's temporary. Um, I was actually I was taking this personality test yesterday uh, that me and my wife took. It was really fun um, but it 's a basic test that has strongly agree strongly disagree five different points you know strongly disagree, disagree neither agreed strongly agree and it just gives you statements because there's certain tests that use, like, full sentences, and there's certain ones that use words, so this one tries to do just right in between to try to, like, we're going to try this. And the statement was, I think of myself as better than other people. (laughs) And I was really conflicted because I know that in my sin, in my ignorance, in my foolishness, I walk into a lot of situations, even pushing it down, but it's still there. I walk into situations being like, (laughs) like, Oh, i 'll do a situation with my dad, and he 'll be giving me advice about something i don 't know anything about and i 'm just like, does he know what he 's talking about in my head it 's an awful thing, but then, on the other hand, I know that in christ we 're all equally depraved sinners who have been saved by Jesus Christ, <laughs> like he values us all the same with different abilities and different things, so as honest as I could the the test, of course, calls for you to be as honest as possible. I selected the middle one because it's true. It's, it's a tension <laughs> that I have, and I'm embarrassed to even say it. Uh, so the only thing standing between me saying, you know, I strongly disagree, I do not think of myself as better than other people, was being prideful, being a in my mind toward you guys <laughs> and everyone else I know. And it's because it's a confidence in the flesh. It's disgusting. Uh, My own warped understanding of what is important on top of uh, like a warped assignment of value to myself based off of transient things that are only beneficial in the worldly sense. Um, But looking at verse eight again, what does Paul say about these things? Rubbish. I like that. We have a British person here. <laughs> I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I agree. And so it is that with that reality and what he's taught us here, that in our identity, in defining who we are and asking who we are, we have tension. And I think that that is part of the reason, even though unbelievers also have plenty of tension, there's something about this tension that I think scares them. There's uh, what the world says about us, but there's also what God's word says about us. Um, God calls us, and this isn't something we can avoid, God calls us to find our identity, to ask the question, who am I? And to find that answer in who? Christ. (laughs) Christ. So we must be in the world, yes, not ignoring all of the difficulties that come with that. But we must slowly move away from how the world defines us, including how we define ourselves, and how Christ needs to be our primary identity. So let's start with how do we define ourselves. So there's a lot of ways in which we can answer the question, who am I? Uh, Who knows how many poems and songs and novels and arguments, (laughs) whatever it may be, have uh, sought to understand that question when it's in the treasure of the Bible. But let's consider some examples of how um, outside influences, Let's let's call them this. This is a good name they gave. talk about some identity competitors your identity is in this instance is the prize and there are all of these different things trying to compete for what that's supposed to be number one being probably our favorite one of our favorites what other people think about us so it's remarkable to think about how much the opinions of others matter to us. Um, it's funny being a teenager, because I'm young, right? I'm like turning 35 next month. And being a teenager and having that thing of like, oh, what do people think about me. Like uh, Mike taught, uh, I think two weeks ago, about I want, I want Air Jordans, but I have Air Gordons. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm like, I love that. Um, as a teenager, having that, and then in your twenties, having everyone, <laughs> every single person you know, being like, "Don't care about what other people think, man. Just what I think about what they think." Um, and then later, I'm starting to come to this point, and you have to let me know if there's even more waves and changes, because I'm sure it happens again. Maybe it happens when you have kids, but. Now in this thing of like, I don't care what other people think. (laughs) At least you think you don't care about what other people think. But it is unavoidable. It is constant. I think that it is placed there by God to be a trial. And for you to remember that only um, his uh, truth about you matters. And uh, the need for prayer. But for some of us, we have this... uh, clear sense of who we are and what defines us more so than what others think of us. Uh, for example, uh, maybe during a fight, a spouse will say to another spouse you always make everything so difficult, or maybe as a parent one of your kids will say like, I know it's cliche, but you are so old-fashioned. Like, just get with the times. Whatever it is. And you can see that when you if you hear something like that over and over and over um, it can have a great influence on how you perceive yourself um and uh it's repetition um we we teach uh, which we talked about this before but repetition is a good thing it's it's helpful for learning there's a reason why there's so many things repeated again and again in the bible it's a it's a great model for learning but Satan knows that. <laughs> we know that. So we can often repeat the same lies and difficulties and hurtful things to each other. Just, and over time, you can start to change, um, start to feel these roadblocks that aren't even there. Um, I've said it before, but it, few things make me more sad than when a Christian says, I don't feel free. In Christ we're free but I think that what other people say it makes them feel like I don't know if I'm so free I feel very blocked in um, (laughs) feel the opposite Um, being a slave to righteousness is being free so others uh, other people can really affect us like Mike mentioned a second one is our jobs so we have the way that other people talk about us and not just that the way they think about us that's even more difficult, right? Especially if you're a sinful, narcissistic jerk. <laughs> because you're, now you're constantly thinking about what's doing, and they're probably thinking about their day or what they need to do. And you're like, what are they thinking about me? Oh, I can't handle it. Um, but our jobs, now we're talking about something that we do every day, or like most days, for long periods of time. <laughs> And, uh, it's a it's definitely put there by God in the garden to be a strain so we have our education we have these former training these uh, training at jobs or training by the parents or whatever it is that shapes the way that we think um, so like a difference would be like an engineer and an English teacher right an engineer They may be more structural, analytical, logical, versus an English major who may be more philosophical and free-flowing. And at our jobs, we spend a lot of time and energy invested in these things that will shape what we value and how we think, certainly how we think. And yeah, I think how we value, too. And basically, we are what we do. Um, And I think that's taught in scripture a lot. If you obey the Lord you clearly love him and if you love him you want to know him and it keeps going so sadly often our self-esteem is wrapped up in what we do for work Um, consider the mixed message that our society sends right now to women about motherhood Um, how making a living is more valuable than having and raising the living and that's not to say that making a living isn't valuable to say that it's more valuable. <laughs> That's terrifying. It's a terrifying message to send. Uh, for a few years, um, I chose working security and delivering pizza over going to church. I legitimately thought, <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't know, my responsibilities as a pizza... Sorry, I'm talking like a, like a, a young youth pastor. Sorry, man. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> my responsibilities as a pizza delivery driver and being a security officer, it's just more important to me than, you know, going to church. Um, it's like these people at, at... I guess I shouldn't say where I worked. But these people at this pizza place, they really need me, so I can't go to church. I did that for like three years. Like, one, like totally, like my dad telling me, you need to go to church, being like, I know, but um, I got this thing I'm working on that's really important. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it's a, uh, but deep down, I think I did so because I had found, <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. I had found value there. I felt valued <laughs> folding boxes and taking pizza to people late. Um, it's a joke, right? It's a total joke. Um, delivering pizza over worshiping God. But it shows that it can happen to any of us, and it can be the dumbest thing. Thirdly, there's the way that we talk about ourselves. Um, you talk to yourself about yourself, whether it's in your mind or out loud, like me sometimes. But <laughs> the reality is that No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You hear your voice maybe, probably more than anyone, maybe some of us know (laughs) these days. But no, you, you hear your voice in your mind more than anybody else. You're in this unending conversation with yourself. You're talking to yourself all the time, you're interpreting, you're organizing, and you're analyzing what's going on inside of you and around you. You're constantly involved, in an internal conversation that greatly influences the thing that you decide the things that you say and the things that you do so as you talk to yourself about yourself keep in mind that what we say to ourselves really does matter this is part of the reason that we're supposed to think about good things about heavenly things your self-talk it shapes your identity and your self-perceptions for example maybe you say to yourself I always say the wrong thing. As opposed to, what have I learned about my speech and how it affects others through this? You know, or maybe you say to yourself, listen, I'm a failure and I don't want to talk to anyone today. As opposed to, Lord, please forgive me. (laughs) Teach me to do what is right. Hear my prayer, you know, talking to God as opposed to shutting everyone else up. So what you say to yourself day by day, and that's the big one, as it goes day after day after day, it really matters and it needs to needs to be corrected so that you can live your true Christian identity correctly. And then there's professional labels. I don't want to go into this too much. I think it's a little it's a little bit of a difficult area to navigate, so I'm going to do it weekly. <laughs> it's what, Sometimes a medical professional, or an expert in a specific field, or an influential person with a lot of experience, or maybe even your very own pastor. They may give you some label, even with every good intention uh, possible. But even with those labels, as useful and practical as they may be, they are not allowed to intrude on your identity in Christ. You can't be labeled a sex addict, an alcoholic, an Enneagram type 1 through 9, a wunderkind or prodigy who needs to achieve greatness, whatever the label is, whether it's good, bad, whatever. You can't be labeled something by a professional or person with experience and then let that make you live in certain ways that are contrary to Christ and how he lived and who he is. I think it was Francis Chan in a sermon said, do you want a professional to like tell you that what you're doing is okay. Like he was like, do you want to abort your child? Do you want to have sex before marriage? I'll find a professional, a Christian professional who'll tell you that. I'll find one for you. Like that's not the answer It's listening to some guy, listening to some lady. So now we have to look at how does the Bible define our identity. But before I go forward does any questions or comments on those, I know they're kind of hard hitting. What others think or say, what we say about ourselves, what professionals say.
2: That seems to be where things are right you now, the attack. Satan's point of attack is, is identity. I mean, identity is being attacked, questioned to the very core of who a person is, even, you know all mm-hmm. gender and all this kind of stuff i mean it's and it's being used very effectively to poison minds and to what they call compassion what they call uplifting is tearing rapidly tearing people
0: down mm-hmm. you know right and so i
2: mean yeah, we we can see how destructive it is but So, I mean, that's being used yeah,
0: to, yeah, just... yeah, and you'd think that with things being that bad, you know, like when I'm watching Lord of the Rings and you see like uh, Gimli or something looking at the orcs or something, you don't really get this vibe that Gimli's going to be like, I'll join them. <laughs> you know? No, he looks at them, they're disgusting. They're great. They're such a good antagonist that Tolkien made. They're, they're filthy, they're disgusting, they're, they're, they're evil, they're wrong, they're dangerous. And he's going to fight them. And you think that that's how we would be. And I think that sometimes, a lot of times, we feel that way. But our identity weirdly feels threatened by them
2: even creeping into the church. I mean, we've seen this. That, and I think this repetition we're talking about people are hearing, which basically propaganda that 10 years ago, I, said, I would have never thought.
0: Yeah. And it's like this repetition, constant
2: repetition, it's
0: like mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's- yeah. And I'm speaking outside of my time, so I'm not really sure, but I got a vibe at least growing up from my baby boomer parents that knowing like who you are <laughs> wasn't really something they were super concerned about <laughs> at the time a lot of them but it feels like not knowing who you are not being able to answer that question right now that, that's not very good like and I'm not trying to offend you know I know that's it's, it's not it's not the easiest thing for everybody to think about themselves <laughs> like that but if somebody comes up and asks you who you are, I mean, we are living in, I'm, and I, I know this is deeply promoted, so it's not maybe as bad as it seems. I think there's a lot of people out there who aren't doing this, but we need to know who we are as Christians and know how to define our identity. <laughs> what are you saying?
2: It's I'm stupid and has nothing to do with nothing, but people can't even define our
0: is, right?
2: which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But we have, to, we have to know who we are in Christ. That's what we have to do. Yeah. There's so many things and
0: I don't want to keep going because you're going to get it, so... I'm going to get what? Like
2: we're a brother and we're a friend college,
0: Yeah, for sure. Sorry, you're making me want to talk about something the Babylon Bee posted recently, but I'll save it for later. Um, <laughs> how does the Bible define our identity? So, let's get to the good stuff. Uh, what we find as we counsel others is that there are a variety of things that shape and define how they understand themselves, right? The things we talked about. Um, These identity competitors, experiences, parents, ethnicity, family, education, work, which this all aligns with what Paul just said. Uh, So all have some impact on our identity, sure, and uh, some have a larger influence than others. Uh, We can call these things identity competitors because they compete in shaping and defining who we are. Um, but what are they competing with? First and foremost, Scripture. They're competing with Scripture. They're competing with God's perspective on things that He's revealed to us. As Christians, we want Scripture to be the most authoritative in shaping and defining our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of all of reality. Uh, We want the authority of the text to define our identity. Objective truth is a better way to define our identity. We look outside of ourselves to something that is not tainted by human subjectivity or sinful motives. And we find objective truth in the Bible because it is God's very own word. God does not lie, he is truth. So as Christians, like we're talking about, identity confusion occurs when we let the things of this world define us more than God's word. Our knowledge, our wisdom, our feelings, our problem-solving, our desires, our observations. Basically, deep down at the lev, at the heart. All of these being good things can become bad things. When they are lifted above God's word, they must fall in place where they belong. Subject under God's word, where he wants them to be. What does... You know you know I like this verse because I say it so often when I teach. but what does Proverbs 3:5 say? Does someone have it in their head <laughs> Do not lean on your own understanding yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> trust the Lord with all your heart and yeah do not lean on your own understanding. Our ways, our own understanding, should never be our foundation. They are not the rock that we stand on, they are sand. Uh, They should not be the foundation for our identities. So, thinking biblically and thinking theologically about our identity, um, as Christians, we want the word to shape and define who we are. So, scripture gives us some fundamental categories to shape our identity. There are probably (laughs) hundreds of ways. (laughs) That we could approach this and that's wonderful because a lot of christians think correctly but differently about christian identity using the truth you know the truth stays the same but we all have these different perspectives the one i'll pick today is just using theology as cfr anybody guess what these stand for basically in cfr we're using biblical history to shape our identity. Any guesses? Let's consider the story of the Bible. Creation? So it's the F then? The fall? Redemption? Oh nice, yeah. Uh, Creation, fall, and redemption. Um, Much like the world likes to say, like, I'm from this country and it makes me who I am. Like, this is what my ancestors went through. This is our history. This is where we come from. Creation, fall, redemption. So, with creation, several, several points flow from the truth and the reality of creation. As created human beings and image bearers, right, made in God's image, we have a dignity and we have a worth that separates us from all of the rest of God's creation. Oh, It's quite a thing to think about. So in application, one thing that uh, occurs in our world that kind of shows a distortion of this is abuse in any form. It's a horrible distortion of what God intends. Um, For example, You may have parents who are lovingly and responsibly stewarding stewarding the gift of children. They're creating a secure environment where children grow up knowing they are loved. And that's what God did for us. But then you have children who are physically or sexually abused, and they grow up, a lot of them grow up with a sense of worthlessness. She knows. A sense of worthlessness. Um, sorry, she knows because she's a teacher. <laughs> sorry. Um, worthlessness. Uh, as adults. worthless. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> she's worthless. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. No, she she helps these people. <laughs> she helps them. She sees it every day from. September yes.
1: Through May. <laughs>
0: every day in the mirror. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, she's wonderful. Um, as adults. But these same abused children, they think things like, "I'm not worth anything. I'm worthless. I'm trash. Um, no one could ever possibly love me." You know, I've heard that many times. But as image bears, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We have dignity and value because of uh, because God made us, not because of the way that others treat us. And one of the means in which God uses this to instill that sense of dignity and value is through our families. Abuse obliterates that sense of being dignified and valued as an image bearer. Secondly, as created human beings, we are revelation receivers. So we often think of the word as necessary because of our sin. I sin a lot, I need the word to stop. But the plain reality is that humanity needs God's words. They've needed his word from the beginning. And we see that in Genesis 1, the story of creation is built around one simple phrase, and God said. There is an interruption to the cadence of this narrative. When after God created him, Adam and Eve, he talked to them. Adam and Eve were created to be revelation receivers. They could not live apart from God's word. God gave man and woman specific guidance for their lives in the garden. He said, be fruitful and increase, multiply, and subdue the earth. Eve from any tree, so many good trees, but don't eat from that one or you'll die. And uh, we don't know what would have happened if God had never spoke. Thankfully, we don't have to know. But we should shudder to even think of life apart from God's word. It doesn't exist. And uh, out of his great mercy, God spoke to us. He didn't have to, he chose to. He spoke to man first in the garden and then through Moses and the prophets and finally through his son. Um, As we studied and learned about in the Hebrews class, long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom all through whom also he created the world creation created by christ we are created by christ we are finding the full revelation of god in christ and now we're finding our identity in christ when we consider the fall the fact that we're sinners that's when the image is shattered. Our identity uh, with God is shattered. It's tainted by sin. And we fall out of God's favor because of sin passed down and seen in our rotten fruit and our sins, our transgressions. So at this point, as our identity has moved forward, we were under God's wrath because of our sins. And this means that... Those things of the heart, our affections, our motivations, and the way that we thought, they were out of sync with God. They separated us from God. Yet, we were still in this form of God's image, and therefore, we could still know God and be forgiven because we still have the status of being important. So sinners, sinners are self-worshippers. And fundamentally, in application, if we boil our identities down to one thing, We could say that we are worshipers. The question is not if we worship, but it's what we worship or who we worship. And our sin causes us to be oriented away from God. And it makes us put ourselves at the centerpiece of the world. Um, I always think about when we used to think uh, that the sun revolved around the earth. It's a really great illustration of the way that we can start to think and then later come to realize, no, <laughs> we revolve around the sun. Um, we can think, uh, I am more important than anything else in my life. Uh, sometimes self-worship shapes our identity in more explicit ways, like maybe you manipulate your spouse or your friends to do what you want. Maybe in the slightest way, maybe in a really awful way, but you could do it, and that's, a, that's not good. <laughs> sometimes it comes in more subtle ways maybe at a party you find yourself talking the most and saying funny things and not giving other people a chance to speak because maybe deep down it's not just about you entertaining people it's you like the attention or maybe it's the opposite maybe you don't talk to anyone (laughs) because you don't want to talk to anybody you don't care Secondly, the sinners are self-deceived in application. We have blind spots. Christians have blind spots. So there's ways in which we as believers we live in this ignorance of this indwelling sin and its harmful effects on their life. Thankfully, sanctification is teaching us those things, but they're still there. And it's it's a thing that glorifies God as he changes us. Ignorance is the key. Sin can make us blind to our own faults. Sin can cause me to be deceived about the depth and the breadth of the problems in my life. And we need to ask God to identify these blind spots in us. And a good way to fight sin is to grow in the knowledge of those blind spots. And I think that all of these identity competitors, one of the things that they're definitely trying to do, going along with what Mike was saying, is they're trying to make you believe that you do not have any blind spots. And I think that we've seen that in the way the culture has been changing. Um, and lastly is redemption a huge part of our identity we are created by God we fell but something beautiful incredible happened the most incredible the most extraordinary thing happened redemption sorry it's, right. it's, it's the most extraordinary thing that's ever happened and it's a part of our identity that's man wind in the sails so Christians, they repent and trust in Christ. And if you repent and trust in Christ, you become a part of God's family, like we are today. And our image is conformed to be more and more like Christ, all the way to glorification. And in some, in some uh, thoughts, maybe even more so after. So, First uh, Corinthians thirteen twelve. Uh, does someone want to look up First Corinthians thirteen twelve? Give somebody else a chance to read. So, firstly, as redeemed men and women, we are transformed into God worshipers. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Uh, The application of being God worshippers is that regeneration and conversion leads to a new heart. God captures our heart. He captures our heart and he transforms hearts and leads. Trans- having a transformed heart will lead to transformed desires, transformed um, output, putting out good fruit, and where we reside, which is abiding in Christ, which is a, a part of the reason week two is so important. We want to know the heart, and knowing the heart isn't just to, you know, <laughs> we're not picking on each other just to be like, show me all the disgusting things going on in your heart so we can just, like, this is awful. And then you can be like, all right, well. Only up from here, because that was awful. No, it's to see all the ways that God's transforming it as well. To stop only thinking about these, and instead to think about what's going on there. Which is infinitely better and more important. Um, Transform hearts, it means we are no longer what we once were. Whatever our fundamental associations were before need to change. Somebody want to read that verse, 1 Corinthians
1: 13, 12? Now we stand family, then face
2: to face. Now
0: I the know then I shall know even as I am Amen. And in reality, the New Testament, it says now that we are completely new creatures. Um, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, Our affections are now reoriented so that we love God more than we love ourselves. For some, the shift in identity is rather drastic. We've heard of, like, the person who, um, they were an intense alcoholic. They came to know Christ, and they stopped, and they never returned. (laughs) That's a beautiful thing. But there are a lot of us, and most of us, I think, it's a gradual upswing. It's a slow ramping up and our heart is changed, but our ignorance of the Christian life causes us to grow in small steps rather than drastic leaps and bounds. So we should always be deeply moved and glorify God and worship God for those incredible stories of the people who changed. The thief on the cross, right? A change like that, oh, so amazing. But there is great, great beauty and great endurance When things are very, very awful for you (laughs) as a Christian, it is a beautiful thing. It is not like, uh, it is not doom, which is how it would feel without God. It is not doom. It is not garbage. It is not all shadows and darkness. It is light pushing through the darkness. One of the most beautiful, inspiring things that we even have in this world is watching people endure for the sake of Christ. It's a good thing. But it is difficult. A slow ramping up. And secondly, we are redeemed sinners. So, in application, even after conversion, we are a strange mixture of both redeemed and sinful. Which is why we have that tension we talked about earlier. About finding our identity in God, but also finding them in many other things. So, um, for most of us, the residues of our sinful past, they linger long after we are converted the same heart that lived as a non-Christian for years and established these sinful habits and patterns and ways of thinking. And these things don't always go away, right away when we're saved, usually don't. So redemption is a process of gradually, consistently, and patiently rooting these things out over the course of a lifetime. we're created in his image and we break it and then he is putting us back together. Not to negate the fact that we have all the salvation. We have all of these benefits now, but we're being put back together. The redemption part is open-ended, but the answers are found in the Bible of how it ends. Romans 6:19 says, "For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, Leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. All right, so lastly, we'll just, all right, so this is a biblical counseling class. <laughs> so, how, how does this help us? How does this help us counsel each other? Think about each other. Um, how, do, how do we look at each other, you know, especially with everything going on in the world now, which is constantly every single thing is just like this is who I am okay how do we do this how do we do this for each other and how do we do it hopefully without burning down buildings and throwing things at each other well practically what does it mean for us how does it help us how does it help others Um, how does it affect the way that we speak in wisdom to other people's lives with God's wisdom so five things quickly Um, firstly Uh, Be careful to not spend all of your time talking about Horizontal parameters So if you're in a discipleship moment Or or just alone But when you're counseling someone they need help you're listening to them trying to understand their heart trying to understand how to give them wisdom It can be easy to think about everything horizontally this goes right back to Proverbs 3 5 yet again it never ends with <laughs> the property cloud Ho- hopefully someday no it should but your own understanding so what is horizontal thinking circumstances human relationships information background information feelings thinking the way that we think the way that per- that person thinks what does that person think about me volitional choices you obviously want to be very deliberate um, about injecting the biblical thinking into the conversation and into your discussions, um, and again, I'm just saying, don't spend all of your time. <laughs> if anything, I, I, I'm sure you're on the same page as me. If you consider, like, man, what if we spent? What if every relationship that I had, that was a counseling or discipling relationship with somebody else, what if every single one of them had 51% biblical, 51, <laughs> and then 49? was not that. Oh my gosh. Like, it'd be incredible. <laughs> it never happens. Like, maybe maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes you get a few people together and they get really excited about the word and they just keep talking about it. But in, I feel like in most conversations, even in our foyer, it can be difficult. But, and it's not like this rule, it's like, it's a goal, right? Because it's, I think we would all agree, 51%. My goodness, if we're talking about the God that much. His word is living. It's powerful. It would change things in all of us. It would change things in us as a family. So just don't spend all of your time talking about it. Of course, you have to talk about horizontal things to understand where each other are at. Um, But if you spend all your time, or 99% of your time, uh, talking about relational dynamics and frustrations and disappointments, desires and hopes that don't have to do with the Bible, they can be hurtful. So you want to be very deliberate in shifting conversations in a vertical, and that's why I drew the Bible that looks like an anvil above the guy's head. <laughs> so I wanted it to be vertical. You want to get this is great, it's needed, it's all a connection, but man, if you leave this up, then you're doing what everybody else does. And they're not doing so they're not doing so hot. So You have to add the vertical part, the Godward direction. You have to ask even the simplest, you write these down, so simple, the simplest of questions. And if we ask each other these questions, don't, you know, don't cringe. Just be like, no, this is good. I I don't care if it sounds out of place. We need to do this. You can ask, how does God relate to what we're talking about? Really simple. It's like, well, yeah, maybe I'd say it with a better cadence. I don't care. However you want to say it, just say it. And then secondly, what does the Bible say about this? So simple. Just remembering. And that's why I have that image up there. I don't care if you have to walk around the rest of your life thinking about a Bible anvil above your head. (laughs) Whatever it takes for you to ask that question, it has to be asked. I know it sounds so simple, but we don't ask the question so often. It's very helpful. Secondly, um, the creation, the theological, thinking about yourself theologically with biblical history, with the creation and the fall and the redemption, these categories are not categories that we, I think, we often talk about. I think we talk about them actually a little bit here, which is great, and it's, it's super uplifting and good, but we need to consider our identities based off of that at all times. Um, or some other version of what the Bible says, whatever works for you. But I think it's a good one. Um, the identity competitors, they're more of what we want to talk about when it comes to ourselves. Maybe you're in a small group and it's like, how are you doing? That's probably <laughs> the first thing that's going to be talked about, which is fine. But the issue is when this is all that's talked about and there's just like, that's just like this thing that It becomes vague at first, like it's never talked about. And then I think after a while, it's just kind of forgotten. The fact that God made me in his image, and that I sinned against him, and now I'm being redeemed. My very storyline? No. There's traffic. That's who I am. I'm just somebody who gets mad at traffic, and that's all I can think about, and I'm going to be turned off the entire Bible study because of that. It's not your identity. Don't let them take your identity from you. It's ridiculous. Push it away. So, letting the reality of what the Bible says about where we came from and how God made us, letting that really take hold of our identity, and being very, very careful about these very real things, but things that are ultimately temporary, transient. Uh, Thirdly, being careful to think about, in your identity, right? What is the most authoritative, the most influential thing in my identity? ask yourself fundamental questions like what has the greatest influence see say this person's counseling this other person and i'm talking to them or you're talking to them asking yourself in this person's life what has the greatest influence with the way that they're speaking what they're sharing because what comes out of the mouth protrudes from the heart what has the most influence is it their work is it their family is it their background is it abuse you know or On the other hand, is it love for God's word? Is it Christ? Um, Is it their desire for the church, both here and universally? Is it a love for their brothers and sisters in Christ? This is, I think, where I really struggle. Um, I struggle very much so with just (laughs) saying those things. And then I'll be having a conversation with one of you or with Mike, and they're just like, yeah, I'm just trying to help others. (laughs) It's just like, what? I need to be like that. What's my problem? God is so good. All glory be to Christ. So, it's true. It's true. Uh, this question about authority and influence, it'll lead to our functional identity. I was actually reading, uh, I was reading a book about counseling. Um, I didn't get to get far because school started back up. And I'm not very smart. I can only keep so much in my head. But, um, sorry, the way that we talk about ourselves. <laughs> One
1: thing pushes out another.
0: Here's an example. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, oh man. Uh, but uh in the counseling book, one of the first things they said, and they were going to go into all the things we're talking about now, but one of the very first things they said is they were like, counseling is getting a Christian back to functioning in the body. And so you might think of that because of maybe jobs you've had. You'd be like, well, that's kind of harsh. It's like, actually, it's not. Um, functioning in the Christian body, that's what brings them joy and purpose and, like, support and being stirred up by other Christians and motivation and energy and strength and all of the fruit of the spirit, like, all of these things. And so all it really is is trying to understand what's influencing them because that's going to tell you how they're functioning. Are they functioning based off of, like, my kids are so pretty, they're so beautiful, <laughs> whatever it is, like get them there so it's really helpful in that way and as matthew 6 21 says very plainly for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so that's why we ask those questions and uh fourthly again just you might be really surprised when counseling others what christians say about themselves Um, it's really helpful to ask those questions And to listen very closely about the way that they talk about themselves. And to remind them of what their true identity is. In their minds, they can think of themselves as so horrible that they can think that they are even beyond God's grasp. Christians! They can say, and I'm not trying trying to make anyone feel that. I'm just saying it's true. Sometimes, even with my own sin, I can be like, I don't know if I'm coming back from this one. Or, I've been sinning, what? You know, being married to Kayla, something will come up that's like, I've been doing that wrong for 15 years? Am I even a Christian? I've been doing that for 15 years. (laughs) Never notice. So, no, you're not beyond God's grasp. He's taking care of you. And fifthly, lastly, when you take time to understand what has been most influential in another Christian's identity, you also need to ask the question of why. This question is not just for the atheists. It's for us all the time. Why, why, why? We need to ask it just as much as they do. And when you ask a person, you need to be ready to ask them why. Why is your job bringing you down this much? I understand. I'm not saying that it's dumb. I'm just saying, but why, though? You know? Um, that'll, I mean, that just shows care. That you actually care about their motivations. But it exposes the heart any we're, our time is basically gone but any quick questions or comments right before we end here or forever hold your peace okay let
1: finish this well oh, you good well probably uh, the younger generation biggest identity competitor probably pure pressure yeah in other words, I want to be like everybody else, uh hmm. Versus, and as you get older, what do you. What's. Usually, when I don't know young guys, usually it's, what do you do? Mm hmm. So. Yeah. So, what's your occupation? And then, of course, if you got fellow workers, how well do you do your job?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you got a lot of things there. Group identity, the American dream. Are you chasing the same American dream as me? If not, you know. I mean, you see it with, with the Judaizers in the Bible, you see it with the neighboring nations in the Old Testament. Um, There's always a group that's trying to get you to do what they want you to do. And of um, course,
1: amongst preachers, how big a church? How big is your congregation? Yeah. In other words, the bigger your congregation, the more you're up to approach,
0: something that Davey very lovingly and faithfully deals with every week. He's he's very good about it, but he deals with it. It's not easy. He's a human. Um, In our immediate culture, um, understanding our Christian identity and helping each other to maintain our Christian identity, it's a calling. It's crucial. It's part of loving each other. It's part of discipling each other. I would say it's part of Matthew 28. Uh, Make disciples. It's part of making disciples. How do you make a disciple if you don't care? And we need to remember that what other people think and what we think about ourselves can compete for our identity. They can be identity competitors going against what God has taught us about who we are in Christ. And in a time of constant identity politics, we need to show the world what it means to be an image bearer, just like they are. And that is being sanctified to the likeness of Christ. We also need to recognize what kind of damage sin and identity politics is seeking to inflict on us, in this room, Christians, together. And because of that reason, caring about each other, watching out for each other, the threat is very real, like Mike was talking about. And they want to steal who we are in Christ. In our, our unity in the Holy Spirit, it provides us with the means to hold fast to who we are in Christ and to biblically counsel each other in that task.